Welcome to Chase the Vase podcast, where we share stories about those who have fought to overcome addiction. Join us every Tuesday and Thursday for the latest stories, tools, and tricks to sobriety. Now, here's your host, Brock Bevel. Welcome to the Chase the Vase podcast. I am honored, blessed, excited to have firefighter Jason Sautel here with me, Oakland firefighter, retired firefighter. You know, I don't know, Jason, man, it's kind of funny. You know, I'm a police officer, also retired police officer, and there's always that bantering between you guys and us, man, that you guys are hose draggers. But I got to come clean with you really quick, and I usually do this with my firefighters. My son asked me, uh, Dad, if you were going to do it again, would you be a cop? And I said, no, I would be a firefighter. I just pray and pray and pray for police officers, whether you're a sheriff, you're a patrolman, city cop, whatever, right now, because it's just so tough out there, man. And being retired Oakland Fire, we obviously had a great working relationship with our cops. But like you said, we'd have fun back and forth. What we would do is let them come to the firehouse and let them take off their gun belts, sit down and take a true break, you know, instead of being in the cruiser and always on on alert and, and having there as a blessing. But the, what I'll throw in there, we did like to mess with them a lot, like pulling the hubs off their wheels and putting a couple of uh, rocks in there. So they'd take off and clang, clang, clang. <laughs> so you kind of hit my intro. My intro is basically thank you to all the first responders out there who are out there battling the blazes, who are... Uh, just representing us in uniform. Thank you for what you do. I'm really excited to have you, Jason, because I want to tell your story. I want to. I want my listeners to hear your story. I want my listeners to hear your vibe, your energy. I know that we have similar stories in our relationship with Christ. And, and for me, I'm not afraid to talk about it. I love talking to other men, you know, like real men, man, that will that are willing to chat about it. So I first want to well, let people know you're, you are an author. You are the author of The Rescuer, One Firefighter Story of Courage, Darkness, and the Relentless Love that Saved Him. And, and man, that gives me chills. I know what you've been through. I know the darkness. I had an opportunity one time to, uh, I was at the academy, and the firefighters were having their, um, their drills, the smoke drills. The, the, I don't know what they call it. We call them live fire. I don't know what you guys call them. So it's all the same, yeah. So for those who don't know it, there's this actual burning building, and it was really smoky. They put us in there as police officers, a few of us, and I remember I had the SCBA, the auction and all stuff, and I'm going to tell you what, I got into that building, and it just gave me a renewed respect and honor for what you guys really go through when you enter that building that's unknown. Number one, I was lost. I felt like I was in a maze. I had seen the building with no smoke in it, so I knew where the chairs were. I knew where the couch was. They let us do a walkthrough. But as soon as you get in there, dude, that ultimate darkness is encompassing. It definitely takes a while to get used to. You know, when I was a young firefighter, I remember going into my first house fire. And you always hang on to the boot and the guy in front of you who's usually a senior member and they'll kind of lead you through as you're going to find the fire because it's a level of darkness people don't realize. Like our flashlights don't even cut through the smoke. So it would be like putting both hands over your eyes and going into a house you've never been to, but your working environment is also just three feet off the floor because if you get in a four or five foot range, you're getting upwards in eight, 900,000 degree temperature, which will fry right through your helmet and your gear and everything. So it's, it's an intense environment to be in. And most people don't see it because when you're outside, you see all the smoke raising in the air. Well, they don't realize how much smoke is trapped in that house and pushing down to the floor that normally we don't see the fire. We just see the glow of the fire. When your ears start to burn and you hear the sizzling and you can't go any further, that's when you open up the nozzle and hit it. Really? 
Man, so I remember the first house fire I went to. You know, I was the first guy there. Firefire hadn't arrived. I'm in that polyester blue uniform, and the smoke is starting to breach the house, and I got up to the front door, and the heat from that front door, I'm out. I backed off because my uniform started melting. Right. It's, you know, and every place is different. So I worked in West Oakland and our part of town was built like in the 1880s, 1890s, and it didn't burn down in 1906 like San Francisco did in the great earthquake and fire. So we have a very old city and our buildings are all wood frame Victorians and and the apartment buildings that we have were built in the 1930s, 1940s, all wood frame. And the issue was instead of just being all wood and wool carpet like they had when they initially built those things, now they have synthetic everything in them. Because if you think of carpet, once it starts to burn, it's just gasoline and oil, right? Because it's made of, of oil and TVs and all the materials in a house and, and stuff. So the fires that we have now, we, we're not any better or any worse than the guys back in the old days. But the fires do burn what we say darker and hotter, where they have a lot darker smoke, the pitch black smoke. And they burn a lot hotter because it's not just wood and wool and natural materials burning. It's uh, synthetic and oil-based materials. All right, man. Cool. I'm so glad you gave us a little background because there's some legitimacy to your job. Okay, let's be honest. But, you know, I want to talk about, I know you've made some comments in your book. I've looked at you online and and I want to get everybody to you as well. I want people to have an opportunity to know that you're an author, you're a speaker, but you're also an evangelist. You have some big things going on. You're an author. But more than anything, I want you to share your story. I listened to a couple of your podcasts, so I have a good history. I know that your wife played a vital role in your walk with Christ originally. What's funny is I wrote down, Jesus led you into it, but your wife led you out of it in a certain certain way, right? I mean, if you don't mind, I want to hear your story. I'm really interested in hearing your walk with Christ, like how that happened. Yeah, you know, well, to go with the way that my wife explains it, and just like most guys, you know, we married way up, and I did too. (laughs) So my wife always explains that she's not the rescuer. She introduced me to the rescuer, who is Jesus, right? So when we met, I was just a young fireman. When I say young, I was about 27, 28 years old and lost, man. I grew up in a rough environment. My dad was a Vietnam vet, and he had a lot of struggles of his own. My mom moved away when I was about eight years old. And so it was just me and my dad. And we had a lot of struggles with our relationship. And it was an abusive relationship I grew up in. So I had a lot of that pain with me when I joined the fire department. But when I joined the Oakland Fire Department, I didn't realize what it was truly going to be like going out the door during the late 90s and early 2000s. The drug wars were really still kicking, you know, the the cocaine wars that we hear about and all that stuff. And there are so many good people in our part of town, but the shootings that we had were insane. So we would be going on shooting after shooting after shooting after stabbing after all this hideous stuff. And it just started to wear me down after a while. And then you would throw in a few fires on top of that. And, you know, sometimes people didn't make it out of the fire and we had to deal with that. And it would just start to weigh you down. So I had my past. I had all the struggles and I had what I didn't realize was the PTSD that was developing because back then no one talked about it. I mean, even still it's taboo to talk about and, you know, I'll talk about it (laughs) to the young guys, tough guys out there. Let's go. I'll go toe to toe with you any day and talk about it. But back then, what I explained it is we would come back and I'm a probie fireman and we come back from a four alarm fire and it was a fatality. And all the old dudes just hopped in bed and they were out. And I'm like, did you guys just experience what I experienced? Well, it was a culture of shut up, new kid and deal with it. If you can't go find another job. And I didn't know how to deal with that, man. 
And what killed me, though, was I also saw a lot of old guys suffering, but they wouldn't admit to it. And so as I was going through all the struggles, my wife came into the picture as a young lady that I was uh, interested in and wanted to date. And she was a Christian and I wasn't. And that's kind of where we were at that time. And she never once said, you need to be a Christian if we're going to continue dating. But she looked at me one day after a really traumatic call that I had and I explained it to her. She's all, I am not going to continue to date you unless you go to church with me. And people say, well, that was kind of rude, but here's her, her explanation on it. She said to me after the fact, so like, why didn't you explain the gospel and everything to me? And she said, you were a six alarm fire. And I was like a single engine company. I needed to get you into church, the body of Christ, have the guys around you, good people around you and that. So they could explain it to you more than I could. She was filling out her job, the commandments of being the light, being the love, the hands and feet of Christ and bringing me into the body of Christ so they could fully explain the gospel message to me. Man, that's powerful. So she kind of led you in it. She was the example. How important was that community? I know that's not something that we talk about in the fire, the homes. In briefing, we don't talk about that. But how important was that community outside of the fire community that you had at church, that you had at your men's groups, that you had at those activities that elevated you as a firefighter, as a boyfriend, as a man? You know, that's so good because I kind of go a little heavy on this sometimes. And what I say is it is so good to have our fire community, our police officer community. But let's keep it real because we experience such rough stuff and things that the average person can't see or hasn't seen. It's tough for us to bond with people. For example, if we go to small group, one of the worst things you can do in a small group to a firefighter or cop is say, hey, give us your high and low of the week. <laughs> you don't want to know my high and low of the week. I'll be honest, because you can't handle it. And I'm not saying they're weaker, but when my high is, man, we did CPR and we, we saved someone was great and my low is, yeah, you know, I was doing mouth to mouth on a burnt two-year-old. The room, that's like dropping an atom bomb in that small group. That's like, small group's over. Jason just destroyed it. So here's what I say, though. The issue is we think we can only hang out with cops and firemen. Well, yeah, for certain things. But if that's the only group we stand, it becomes kind of inbred, right? How are we going to learn other things? How are we going to let other people in? So important that you have your core group of people that have walked that walk with you, that have been in the trenches with you, that truly have smelled, tasted all the things that we have. And then you have to also let other people in. But what have we been called to do? We've been called to protect. And I tell the guys this, we still have to protect that small group and those people because if we just drop the worst of the worst on them, man, you're going to traumatize people. It's like everyone wants to see the accident, right? Till they turn their head and actually see the real accident and see before the yellow blank is out. They're traumatized for a long time. So it's so important for us to have that because we also need to be able to off gas in that area. And we also have to get away from our fire community, but we're not forgetting them or our police community. We have to have it, like you said, all encompassing all around the body of Christ. Otherwise it becomes unbalanced. And when I look at our Bible from Genesis all the way to the indices, yes, I know it's the revelation of John, but I call it the indices. It's balanced, man. And if we even unbalance our biblical walk and our walk with Christ, dude, things are going to fall apart. So it's so important to have community on all levels and to balance it out. But let's be honest, as tough guys and tough girls, we have to let people feed into us and give us stuff that we need and nurture us too, which is hard because we're protectors. That's a huge thing. I listened to what you said, and, and I remember at the beginning, all I wanted was that team feel, right? And my first couple years, I noticed that alienated family, I alienated my friends who weren't so-called first responders because they didn't understand, right? I can't tell you a story about 
a baby I just did CPR on that passed away because you don't get it. Why waste my time with you? So what you're talking is you're, you're talking, you're spitting some serious value here in people's lives where your community has to be bigger than you. If you're only having guys in the fire department, that's your growth. And that's why some of our teaching is, man, find a community in your CrossFit gym, find a community at church, find a men's group, try to find people that are smarter and elevated more than you. Right. So I love that. Yeah, it's so good. You know, it's having people push us. The other way I kind of give an example of it is this uh, miniseries was on HBO a while ago, The Pacific, right? And the guys just got done with Guadalcanal. And I'll be honest, any branch of the military, my hat off to all y'all, okay? Because uh, fires, they're deadly, they're dangerous, but they didn't shoot back, they didn't chase us, all that kind of stuff. And that's just a level I've never experienced. But there's this particular scene where they finally get off Guadalcanal and they're in a group and the guys are kind of huddled together because they all experience it. And this guy asks him, says, what was it like? And they all look at him like this. And it was like, you haven't earned the right to ask us that question. And that's the bond we have. But we have to be safe that we don't become arrogant. We don't become rude and we don't, don't do it. We have to give grace and accept grace at all times. And if we don't have that two-way street, it's not going to be healthy for us. So it's, it's like you said, man, to find that community on all levels. You might have one guy where it's like, Bro, I'm going to talk to you about the worst of the worst. I'm going to talk to you about a relationship issue or this or that, you know, but then let's be honest, you're going to have a group of guys that's going to push you to get those deadlifts in. You know, it's, it's so, so important to have that whole group. So I agree with you, well-rounded. So what you're saying, what, what's important is for me, I worked in the police departments a little over seven and a half years and it ended abruptly. I was medically, I was run over. I was medically retired. Boom. That connection, that team that I had was gone from one day, from Tuesday to Wednesday, gone, right? So I had taken all my energy and all my effort and put into this group of men that weren't elevating me. They were protecting me, but they weren't elevating me. So my question to you is, man, how do we protect that if we have all our eggs in one group of people? Right. Well, let me kind of go with my experience, kind of parallels here. It's not better or worse. But the day the doctor walked into the hospital room and said, Jason, you can't be a fireman anymore. It was the worst day of my life. It was the most humiliating day of my life. It crushed me because I have had no other job since I was 18. For 22 years, it's all I knew. I mean, I was a skater and a surfer. I dropped out of high school when I was 16 years old. I went back and got my GED just so I could join the fire department. And so it's all I knew. Well, I had an idolization of the fire department, if you will. I kind of idolized. I held it up. But that worst day of my life, became the best day of my life later on. Because what I do now is I look back at it and said, God was working on me and in me during those 22 years for what he has for me next. So for you, seven years as a cop, man, and having it yanked away from you, it's horrible. I really care to say, I never want to make my experience, your experience better or bigger than anyone else, because even someone who maybe couldn't be a school teacher anymore, you know, it's horrible when that happens. But what I tell people, the way that you're going to elevate, as you were saying, is it's on us. We have to put in the work. And I truly believe a lot of the work that we need to put into is finding people who are going to build you up and challenge you in the new area of your life while accepting you for who you are, not who you have been. Because not like you were a cop, you are a cop who now is doing something different, you know, because that's where God has you. And so the short version of that answer, man, you know what? Put yourself around guys and gals that are going to build you up and understand you and push you in a way that you need to be pushed. So, Jason, what put you out of the fire department? What happened? 
Yeah, I was picking weeds at the firehouse and then just threw my back out, so I was done. That, that's the story I give everyone. What happened was a stupid thing. We were at a warehouse fire, and we were losing the warehouse, and it was nothing glamorous, but we had to get out. Well, I was working as the lieutenant that day because I was on the promotional list to be a lieutenant. And so I'm making sure the guys get all the hose out, and everyone's like, were you worried about the guy's safety? I'm like, sure, by their safety, I'll be the last one out. But more importantly, I didn't want to ruin any hose because I don't like doing reports, so I want to make sure all the hoses out of the building. Well, as they went out, I, instead of following all the rules we're supposed to follow and go back out the way we came in, crawled and walked, I saw a door to the left that I knew was there. I walked and I fell into an eight foot hole and I jacked up my back and hips. Then they got it fixed. I went through a surgery, got it fixed, went back to work and I was throwing a ladder, doing that. Pow, it went out again and it was crushing me. So they gave me some more time off, did another surgery. Then the last time I say I was pulling weeds at the firehouse and it finally went out. So it's a pretty boring story. I wish I had something better for you. No, no, no. But the medical retirement, I understand that. If you don't mind, man, let's let's go back because because I think that you skimmed over this this childhood trauma thing. You know, we all we want to be we want to be saviors of the world, too. And I and I believe that a lot of us, we get into being a first responder, military, police, fire, doctors, you know, we uh, nurses, EMS. We do this because we're givers, man. We want to we want to help people. And, and the experiences that you went through as a kid with your father, the trauma. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to try to give it, bring it back up, but, but it played, it played a role, man. Like just, we, we, it plays a role in our life. And so did it prepare you to become a firefighter? You know, that, that's such a good question, you know, and to not skim over, I'll, I'll go over it. That living with my dad was rough, you know, because he was about himself. And I didn't get to be a child. For instance, people are like, oh, you're a fireman. You played sports. Well, I was a skater. And I hung out with the skating community. And I never took on the ideologies of the, the dudes that were there. But, you, you know, you had the gangbangers, the skinheads, all that kind of stuff that would be hanging around the, quote, white skaters, if you will, in Southern California. But they accepted me in and showed me a love that I wasn't getting at home, right? So I hung out with them. But what's kind of crazy looking back on it now, even when we were like, you know, snitching beer, doing that kind of stuff. It felt horrible on the inside. I felt wrong. Whereas like the other guys kind of got off on it. It was a really weird thing. So I grew up in that. And if I wanted to play a sport, I needed to, especially at high school, I needed a PE uniform. Well, if I asked my dad for a PE uniform, it wouldn't end well for me. So I would just stand in PE and the coaches would just, they would break me. They'd, oh, Jason wants to be different. Oh, and they'd make me stand in my little square for the 45 minutes that PE was going on. Well, then they would have all the other guys in class make fun of me and hammer down on me, hoping that they'd give me a PE uniform. I'm thinking in my mind, bro, can I just get an extra PE uniform? But it was easier to take 45 minutes of beating and be an outcast at school than it was to go home and ask my dad for a PE uniform for the money. And so how I prepared for how that prepared me is when I became a firefighter and why I became a firefighter was because like you said, I wanted to help people. But looking back on it now is for selfish reasons. It was because I wanted to feel better. Not that I wanted to see people bad in bad places or worse off than me. I thought by helping them, it would make me feel better. And initially it would. But as soon as we got back to the firehouse, I'd feel like crud again, man. I'd be, I'd be like, man, the goodness went away. And so it was like putting, you know, the bandaid on the arterial bleed. It, it wasn't working or putting pressure on it. The second the pressure came off, started bleeding again. So my childhood, how it prepared me for the career was I would always go to the outcast. Like even in my book, I talk about, I was almost bonded more with the homeless people than I was with the firefighters. Cause I didn't lie to tell hideous lies in the fire department. But if someone asked me, what was your childhood? Like, oh, I was born and raised in San Diego. Good life. You know, that I would hide it all. 
because they all had seemed like perfect lives. Did you play sports? Oh, I played all sorts of sports, you know? Meanwhile, I was like, no, I did, and it was, it was rough. And so I would look for the outcasts. We'd do a stop, drop, and roll thing at a high school or a school, and I would look for, like, the young lady who's standing off to the side, and I would see myself in her. And I would call her the fire engine, like, you get in the front seat right here where the captain sits. And she's like, all scared. I'm like, sit, sit right here. And then all the little boys that are bouncing around the back, I'm like, y'all shut up and get in the back. I said, young lady, you one day are going to be a leader. You see all these idiots behind me? You're going to be leading them one day. And I want you to remember that. So I would use my childhood that way to try to help people even before I was a Christian because I wanted the outcasts to know it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right, you know? And so that's how my, my rough childhood, you know, kind of helped me. But it also hindered me because I got into the fire service hoping it would complete me. You know, we hear that class, they oh, it's going to complete me. And it didn't complete me. It actually made me worse until I finally turned to Christ. Did it prepare you for the, the 1 a.m. wake-ups, the call-to-call, call-to-service? Did it prepare you for that level of living? You know, that was definitely the part was like the excitement because you know, also being an adrenaline junkie, like I believe a lot of us are, I never want to see anyone's house burning. Let's be clear on that. But it's going to happen. And if it's going to happen, I'm going to go there. It's like my Disneyland because I really enjoyed fighting fire. I know, and it sounds horrible. I want to be there. Yeah, I never wanted anyone to be hurt. But because I had the skills and the abilities to help, you know, I never got off on like a medical or a trauma call. That was just we show up. But, you know, a good rip and fire and stuff. It was like, all right, it's CrossFit on, on crack, you know, and stuff. It's, it's a good workout and the adrenaline's there and the endorphins are flowing. What I think it prepared me for was as I matured, God was starting to say, listen, this stuff isn't working. This going to a fire isn't working. And when I was in the, the firehouse and we started going to fatality fires, I started seeing myself in a lot of these people that died that I saw them dying alone, saw them dying in the darkness. And it started coming that I don't want to die alone. And when you throw Christy in the mix and then she invited me to church and I heard the true gospel message, that's when it started to make sense. So the preparation of my past is like when you look back, start piecing it together, God's plan was weaving together with where he wanted me to go and he's faithful and he definitely waited on me because there's a couple of times where I didn't think I was going to live. Like the fire right before I came to Christ, I thought I was dead. I was trapped in a fire. I was an unfaithful man. I didn't have any faith in Christ. And it scared the bejeebers out of me, man. I thought, was a, I thought I was a goner there. And that's kind of the switch that went on. And I said, man, I don't want to be in this eternal darkness. I want to come out. Okay, let's hit this, man. How did you, so you got trauma from the fire department. You got child as a young, a young man. I know mom and dad divorced. You live with your dad. How did you begin to heal and close those wounds? What were some of the tools you use? Obviously the tools that I use, and I go really cautious here because I lean on my faith, but I understand that there's a lot of people that don't have my faith. So I believe in psychologists. I believe in medications as long as used proper. I believe in the holistic approach, but mine, mine starts with the holiness of God because my thing was I tried everything this world said would work and would work for a while, but it always crumbled back. And when it crumbled, I ended back up in the pit of hell. Well, for me, what worked was when I put my faith in Christ, I now had a foundation. When I fail and the world fails me and you fail me, and my doctor fails me and my brothers at the firehouse fail me, Christ will never fail me. So I never went back into that pit of hell and I had a place to start rebuilding from. But I want to be very clear to anyone who is listening to this. If you're not a Christian or anything, don't say, oh, well, I shouldn't go get help unless, no, go get help. 
help. But hear me out. I truly want you to have a foundation because it's where my truth comes from and I can't back away from my truth ever. And that's where I finally started getting help. And let's be honest, man. You know, I've been a Christian now for 20 years and there's still times I fall. There's still times I struggle, but I have the whole body of Christ around me, which I believe in science. I believe in medicine. I just believe God created it. That's the difference. You know, as an atheist and me, we believe in the same medicine and the same science. I just know who created it, you know? What was your testimony, Jason? What was your pivot point that led you? I know I know, your, the Christy led you to Christ, but you had to take the steps, right? We always talk about if you want something positive in life, you, it's action, right? If you want to be a firefighter, you got to go through the testing. You want to lose weight, and there's action behind it. So with your walk with Christ, what was your action? You know, my action is, you know, you know, Paul says it very good when he's talking about the thorn in his side. He's prayed for God to take the thorns out of his side, but he won't because God leaves them in there to remind him of where he is. And that in our weakness is where strength is found. Because when we think we're strong, we're actually not unless we lean on Christ's strength. So where my work comes from is I remember the darkness. I remember the hard times. I don't live in them. I don't wallow in them. I don't, oh, this all that happened. But I go, ouch, it still hurts. Then I look forward and I start working through it. For me, it truly is going out and helping other people with my experiences. That's a big thing because we're responders. So if I say, hey, I had this time in my life. I find I get great help out of helping other people during that time. When I'm in a spot where I am absolutely lost, man, it's just classic biblical. I pray, I meditate on scriptures, I read my Bible, and I just hang out with, with other Christians and ask them to point me in the direction I need to go. But I'm also a big believer too, that if you do that in a dark room and under the covers, that's not healthy either. So I really enjoy working out, getting outside and doing everything. But again, like I mentioned a little bit ago, Balance, man. It's got to be balance. You know, you got to bring in all aspects of it to work our way out, just like a fire. You need, you know, 30 different things going on to get the fire out. Well, the fires in our lives, we have to have multiple things going on, and it may take us a little while to get each thing done, but keep pushing forward. And when you feel like you can't push forward anymore, fall back into the strength of the Lord, catch a little break, refill, and then get back up and get moving again. And that, that's what works for me. Movement. I love that. If, if we could just put that understanding out there, how it's steps, right? Well, it's not big steps. It's just a little things. Like you said, it's, it's always, we call them Sunday school answers, right? It's the basics. And I think we skip those a lot of times. We want these major scenes. We want these major events to happen in our life. And, and for you, it sounds like you had those. When you're in a burning building, it's easier to be in that moment where you need him. When I was run over, there was a moment in my active addiction. I needed him. I know we all get to that point. So it's these little steps of doing the next right thing. One thing I'm getting from you, Jason, is slow down, man. Like it, there's a process to building. I'm quick to preach because I love it so much and I can get into the zone and let's go. and But here's what I explain to people. So the Holy Spirit will speak to me. He says, Jason, there's the mountain. Go get it, right? I'm like, let's go. You know, and I'm like charging it to me. It's like a house fire. Kick the door in and let's tally ho. And I'm not going to quit until the fire is out. And so that mountain's in front of me and I charge at the top mountain. I'm like, I'm here. What's up now? Problem solved. And I'm looking around, I'm like, Holy Spirit, where are you? And he's like, yeah, I'm back down here at the 1,000 foot mark in the foothills. You know, you might want to slow down, kid, and come back with me because you're going too hard. 
Now, I believe in work, don't get me wrong, but I believe in working at a true pace that he wants us to work at, that we need to work at. You know, I mean, I could go out right now cold and, you know, throw around 500 pounds if I really wanted to, but it's going to hurt. <laughs> I'm going to have a long-term injury probably from it. But we got to warm up, we got to build up, and we got to get in the zone and get there and not slow down that to get lazy because I'm not a fan of laziness. But I'm also not a fan of putting so much pressure on the people that we're going to break them. And in our faith, that type of preaching kills me. And so I always, even when I preach, have to slow back and say, listen, it's okay to fall back in the Lord's arms. It's not okay to go under the covers and be, you know, shut yourself out of society for a few days. But it's okay to energize, recharge, and get that rest that your body really needs and your, your spirit and your mind. We're talking to a lot of people, law enforcement, military. Not everybody's a believer, like you said. One of the things that I want you to, I want you to share your personal experience, but how do you hear him? Because I've had a lot of people come to me and ask me, I want to be a believer of Christ. I want to follow him. I want to believe in what you're telling me is true, but I don't feel him. Maybe for you, Jason, if you could kind of give me a way the listeners a way to he, to maybe be more open to that concept. I would love for you to share that. Totally. So, you know, I kind of fall into old school theology, which isn't old school. It's just, it's, it's like you're saying, back to the basics. I believe the Bible is the Bible, the word's the word, but I believe man can straight jack it up and mess it up big time and be rude the way they bring it to the world. So how do I hear? I go two ways. If it's all Holy Spirit, you know, and it's all being driven Holy Spirit, well, a pastor friend of mine says, you blow up, right? You just, you become, oh, it's all, I'm Holy Spirit driven. Oh, I'm Holy Spirit. But if it's all infallible word and it's just God's word and you follow the word, then you dry out. And so the way that I say, how is God talking to us? Well, first off, if someone comes and talks to me, I already know that God's talking to them and nudging their heart to come to Jesus. You know, that that's a given. But you have to assess each person. Meaning, when a pastor first walked into my firehouse, it's actually in chapter two in my book after we had a double fatality fire, and he asked me how I was feeling, I cursed at him. I yelled at him. I told him if he wanted to be a man to go put on a coat and take his book of lies and his Bible out of my face because I'm such an angry person because the world is so loud that I couldn't hear them. So when I approach someone and I can see that they're angry and they're what we say rebelling from God, meaning they're just so angry at it, they can't hear him. Well, you know what? I think I need to spend more time of shutting the noise of the world out than coming at them right away with the gospel message, which people did with me. And so how do we know that it is God that's talking? Well, for people that have been in the Bible and been a believer for a while, if it doesn't line up with scripture, it's not God. Because I have prayed and I've had the devil answer. People are like, what? No way. I'm like, yeah, because, or when I say devil or my flesh or something, but it did not line up with scripture. I couldn't find it anywhere in the Bible. It lined up with Jason's wants, the wants of this world. So that's how we know when God's talking to us. But as someone who is brand new or not even a believer yet, it is so clear. That's why the Bible says you have to have some really cool believers, and we call them elders in the Bible, but they're just cool bros who are mentors of yours that are biblically based so they can help you decipher that. And so the local church, well, you may go to the wrong local church. <laughs> you know, I've been to the wrong local church where I'm like, yo, what was happening there? And then I've been to others that aren't work. So anyone who is listening to this that is not a believer, what I always say is I make myself available, reach out and reach out to other Christians. Because in my book, I explain I did try to reach out to some Christians and they turned me away from their church because the way I was dressed. And the next day I almost killed myself. Well, I was going to kill myself, but a San Francisco fireman intervened. And so, and so when you have 
something bad happened from, quote, the church. Understand it's not the church. It's some jacked up people that it's coming from that have a bad interpretation because we have to love at all times. Christians have to love. Grace is not a two-way door. Grace isn't you open up a door, someone walks through and you go, well, you're welcome because they didn't say it. No, grace is you open up the door and even they storm through and spit at you, you let them go on through. That's grace right there. And so if someone doesn't offer a non-Christian grace, get away, get away from that church. You know, now don't get me wrong. If you're being mean to me, I might kind of like, yo, stop it. <laughs> you know, I'd be a little forceful with you. I can be crazy. But I think for new believers to, to wrap up that question with you, man, or someone that's not a believer, you know, just ask the questions. Ask the questions that are on your heart. Don't think you have to go straight to the hard questions right away, you know, and a true believer is going to answer them. And even if you don't accept them, I'm still going to love you and say, all right, well, you're obviously angry. Now I want to talk about, you know, the game tonight, you know, <laughs> so it's, it's okay. It was interesting. I had a, one of my mentors. I think sometimes, especially like you said, as a firefighter, as a first responder, it's so loud, right? It's so loud. And when I talk about loud, I'm not talking about the noise around us. I'm talking about the noise in the head. When you mentioned PTSD, and and I know there's been some, we've all struggled a little bit with addiction, whether that's, like you said, going out and surfing and just disappearing, right? I love the scripture that's found in the Bible in Galatians 5.22, and it talks about the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruits of the Spirit are love, peace, joy, long-suffering, uh, goodness, and faith. And these are things that we can, we understand, and we can be tangibly connected to these feelings right? And so as I listen to you, Jason, I, I feel this, man. I feel your goodness. I feel your strength. I feel your hope. I mean, just more than anything, I, I want to thank you for coming on this Chase the Vase podcast. I'm, I'm thankful you for your ability to share your testimony with us. If you don't mind, I would love for my listeners to have the opportunity to search you out, man. Like, where can we find Jason? Yeah, definitely. Well, one of the greatest places if you want to go for my book is my publisher, Thomas Nelson, put together a page called rescuerbook.com, which will direct you to my overall story. In my book, in the back cover, I actually have my email address. People are like, no way. I'm like, yeah, I get over 200 emails a day and messages through Facebook all get answered. Unless you're a little too weird, then I just say, okay, love you, pray for you, <laughs> but all get answered. And so that's a great way to do it. I have a Facebook page, which uh, the handlebar is Gracefully Rescued, or Jesus is All We Need uh, by Jason Sautel. And that's another uh, place you can and stuff. But what I always tell people is I'm not trying to sell books and do all that stuff. But the story that God gave me to share with people, I direct them to rescuerbook.com. And I just want, especially non-believers, non-believers, hard-headed military guys and gals, first of all, read it, okay? Because you're going to see a hard-headed guy for about 14 chapters, okay? You're going to be like, this is a Christian book. It's not a Christian book. It's the story of my conversion. Christians actually sometimes go, Ooh, I don't like that because he has a couple of wrong words in there. Well, it was me pre-Christ. So that's a good place to go. And then email me uh, with the email address that's on the back cover there, and I'd love to chat with you guys. I love it, man. Ed, thank you. Uh, here's what I'd like you to do. I want to give you a minute to share. You have open ears, man. You have people that are listening to you right now. What would be a message you would want to leave them with? You know, a message I want to leave you guys with is don't let anyone else push you into something that is not going to work for you. I know a lot of people are struggling with addiction. A lot of people are struggling with problems. And I want to ever look like holier than thou that I'm not. I struggle. I struggle every single day. And reach out because I truly believe as a guy who is literally 10 seconds out from killing himself, that reaching out 
and knowing that there is so much more for you and so many better things than, than the crud you're sitting in right now, just reach out for help, okay? Please, please do that. And for those of you that see someone who might be uh, struggling right now, just ask them how they are. That's a, that's a, I'm a huge believer in that. Jason, I have interviewed so many men and women, first responders, military, firefighters, and it's crazy to me that at one point or another in our walk that we have all contemplated suicide. In my brain, when I listen to you, I don't see you as that moment of weakness is what we don't see, that moment of struggle, but we also have that moment of surrender. Oh, man, I love that. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. It's, you know, like I say, I'm no better than anyone else. I'm no worse than anyone else. And when you get to that area of my life and you read it, you're going to see on my book, I was vulnerable, I was open, and I was transparent. It's been the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life because everyone sees my life as a true open book now. But I want people to see that they're not alone. You know, it's really important to me. Thank you for your walk with Christ. People that have listened to my podcast, I'm not, this isn't what I usually talk about, but I absolutely know that I know one thing, life changes with Christ. Yeah, you be, you know, I'm not going to preach you guys, but think of it like this. Jesus isn't a lifeboat or a life raft. I was dead and he came in and he brought me alive. And so when you say that life changes with Jesus, there's no way it can't change be because you become new in him and you want something so much more. Some people say, oh, I see the goodness in you, Jason. What I say is, no, you see the goodness coming down and out of me because goodness comes from him. And I just want to pour it out to other people because he saved me. And I just want to tell other people how good he is. And that's the way I kind of preach. Thank you, brother. Appreciate for your time. Keep chasing the vase. I invite you to check out the Fight Like David Challenge. It's a seven-day challenge to reboot yourself in Christ and go search after him. Thank you, Jason. I'll talk to you. All right, man. Thank you. You've been listening to Chase the Vase Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Anchor, or Apple Podcast to get new, fresh weekly episodes. For more information, please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook, or visit our website, chasethevase.com. Until next time, keep chasing the vase.